Compromise. At a very young age, we are taught to compromise. We're told that if we clean our plate, we can go outside and play. We're told that to get along with others, we must learn to share. Webster's Dictionary defines the word compromise as follows. It says this, a settlement in which both sides make concessions. So compromise is generally thought of as a pretty good thing. It's a word that brings to mind positive thoughts. But there's a, there's a second definition to the word compromise in Webster's Dictionary, and it reads like this, to expose to suspicion. To expose to suspicion. This can happen a number of different ways. It can happen when an iceberg rips the hole in the hull of a ship. The ship would be compromised, no longer trustworthy. It can happen in government agencies when classified documents are leaked, security is compromised, it's no longer trustworthy. But it also happens on a personal level almost every day in each and every one of our lives. It happens when our actions don't match our words. When our actions don't match our words, our integrity is compromised. When our actions don't match our words, we expose our integrity, our moral code, to suspicion. And for Christians, this is a problem. Because our moral code, the rules we live our lives by, they're from God. They're from God. They have their foundation in our understanding of Jesus Christ, of who he is, and how he lived. Now, as Christians, we know that we're not saved by our actions. We're not saved by our behavior. We are saved solely by the work of Jesus Christ. And what he did is enough. But that does not mean that our actions don't matter. In fact, the Bible tells us that our actions are very important. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the salt of the world. And what does salt do? It, it purifies, it preserves, it adds flavor. It changes everything it comes in contact with. The French fries don't change the salt. It's the other way around. It's the salt that changes the French fries. And that's how it's supposed to be with Christians. Christians are not to be changed by the world. The world is to be changed by the Christian. The Bible tells us to be in the world, but not of the world. When I say the word world, I'm not talking about the globe or the planet, and neither is the Bible. I'm talking about people, culture, and principles. The ideas and principles of the world are not to change the Christian. The Christian is to change the ideas and principles of the world. After Jesus was crucified, after he gave up his life on a Roman cross for our sin, he rose from the dead and he appeared to over 500 people. And he gave instruction to his disciples to go into the world to baptize and to teach all that he had taught to them. He told them, change the world. Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, promising to return one day to judge the living and the dead. And his disciples went out into the world 
They proclaimed the gospel in word and deed. And one by one, they, they were martyred for their faith. They were executed by the world for refusing to compromise. They were in the world, but not of the world. And their witness, their lives, the way they lived changed the world. Sixty years after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, only one of the original 12 remained. Only one of the original 12 reached old age, the Apostle John. And in spite of heavy and violent persecution from the Roman government, from the world, the church was growing and thriving. The world was being changed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The city of Pergamum was the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. And, and being the capital, Pergamum was a center for idolatry and other pagan religions. If it existed, you could find it in Pergamum. At the heart of the city, there was a throne-shaped altar built to Zeus. Historians believe it was the largest pagan altar in the world. 40 feet high, 120 feet wide, and 112 feet long. It was huge. And as a symbol of the city, it was a monument to idolatry and indulgence. Everything the city stood for, it represented. It was a monument to sin. But God had not abandoned the people of Pergamum. He'd not left them without witness. The Bible tells us there was a small Christian community in Pergamum. And that community was led by a man named Antipas, a disciple of the Apostle John. Antipas, like the apostles before him, refused to compromise with the world. He refused to participate in pagan feasts. He refused to tolerate idolatry. He refused to tolerate temple prostitution. And he refused to worship the emperor. He refused to be of the world. As you can imagine, this made him extremely unpopular in the city of Pergamum. In a city full of darkness, he was light. In a city full of sin, he was salt. In many parts of the Roman world, there was a system often used during jury trials. The jurors would be given a black stone or a white stone. Once the prosecution and defense had both pleaded their cases, a box would be passed around and the jurors would drop in a black stone for guilty or the white stone for innocent. In the end, if the black stones outnumbered the white stones, you were in deep trouble. Antipas was found guilty of crimes against the state. He was found guilty because he refused to compromise with the world. He was in the world but not of the world. The Bible tells us that Antipas was martyred for his witness to the gospel. Christian tradition tells us that he was led to the altar of Zeus and burnt alive. Before his death, Antipas was told this, Antipas, the whole world is against you. Then I'm against the whole world, he replied. He was salt. After his death, something understandable but unacceptable happened at the church in Pergamum. Some in the church began to compromise the teachings of Antipas. 
which in reality were the teachings of the Apostle John, which in reality were the teaching of Jesus Christ, God's Word in the flesh. Our sermon text for today is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And as I read, you'll notice that Jesus is not impressed by that throne-shaped altar to Zeus. In fact, he has a different name for it. Reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, reading in the name of the Lord. The words of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The world we live in wants us to believe that everything is good, that all roads lead to eternal life. But Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and few will find it. The world is heading away from God. The world is not our friend. The Bible says if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That means that being a Christian in this world means going against the flow, standing against the crowd. If the whole world is against us, then we are against the whole world. It's always easier to go with the flow, to, to go with the crowd, and, and that's what was happening in Pergamum. Our sermon text tells us the teachings of Balaam and Balak had entered the church. The story of Balaam and Balak is found in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Balak was a Midianite king who feared the Israelites, and he had good reason to fear them. They outnumbered him. They worshipped a different god than him, and worse yet, the Israelites were intolerant of sin and false gods. In fact, they were a tool of the one true God's wrath against all false religions. Balak had watched as the Israelite army had moved through the desert, wiping out false religions as it went. They were sent by God to change the world. And this scared Balak so he summoned a sorcerer, Balaam, to curse the Israelites. And Balaam tried three times. Three times he tried, but each time when he opened his mouth to curse the Israelites, he could speak only a blessing. 
As you can imagine, Balak was furious. He had, he had paid Balaam to come there. He had paid him good money to curse the Israelites. What are you doing? He asked. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? Balaam replied. With tension high between Balaam and Balak, Balaam prepared his donkey for the long journey home. But before he left, he made a suggestion. He told Balak that if you want to destroy the Israelites, you need to separate them from their God. Balaam told Balak to send Midianite women into the Israelite camp to seduce the men to sin and to introduce them to foreign gods. The Bible tells us that Balaam's plan worked, that the Israelite men began worshiping Midianite gods, false gods. Instead of changing the world, they were changed by the world. The very mention of Balaam and Balak reminds us that it was compromise with paganism that brought ancient Israel defeat. Jesus was warning the church in Pergamum, and he, and he warns us today to be in the world, but not of the world. Something happens when we become of the world. The world begins to change us. When that happens, we compromise our role as witnesses for Christ's kingdom in this world. We're no longer salt. We're no longer trustworthy. Because our lives look no different than those we're trying to reach and our actions no longer match the faith we confess. The church in North America finds itself facing the same problems as the church in Pergamum. We're saturated by the opinions and the viewpoints of our culture, of the world. Statistics tell us the average American sees between 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day. The older generation, about 4,000, and the Younger generation, about 10,000. I'll let you decide which one you are. And most of these advertisements are bringing an anti-Christian message. They're telling us that if we dress the right way, if we buy the right clothes, if we drive the right cars, we'll be happy. They're telling us that we can find happiness in the treasures of this world, and we believe the lie. If we were on trial, every stone in the box would be black. We're guilty, and advertisements are just the beginning. The television shows, the movies we watch, Hollywood is bringing a message promoting alternative lifestyles, indulgences, blasphemy into our homes, and we eat it up. We're pulled in, we're, we're guilty, and the evidence is all around us. One thing I've noticed is how taking the Lord's name in vain is all over television and has crept into the Christian vocabulary. This is a commandment from God, not a suggestion. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The second commandment, number two on God's big ten list, and it is broken every day by Christians. The thing is, God has given us good reason not to misuse his name. He says, when you call on my name, I will answer. But the world is changing the church. Statistics show us the divorce rate among Christians and non-Christians is the same. The rate of adultery is the same. The children in just as much trouble. Statistics tell us the average Christian home 
looks no different from a non-Christian home. But it should. It should look different. Perhaps the greatest sign of the world changing the church is church leadership. Church leadership has pressure to fill the pews and it has geared its evangelism effort towards convincing the world that it is just like the world. It affirms what the world affirms. It lives like the world lives. It does what the world does. The leadership of the church in North America is trying to convince the world that Christians are not a threat. The Christians don't want to change the world. But God has not abandoned North America. He's not left North America without a witness. He's called you. And thousands of other Christians just like you to be his witness. One of my closest friends, and we've debated this, when he is witnessing, he loves to tell people, I'm no different from you. I've told him he is false advertising because he is different. His life looks different. He doesn't have a lot of money, but he's one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. Doesn't have a big house, but he's very content. He doesn't get credit. No one pats him on the back. But he's a superstar because every time he gets the opportunity, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just flows out of him. He is salt. If we are to be salt, our lives should look different than the lives of those who don't know Jesus. A while back, I was in Subway with my dad, and, and there was a family, grandparents, their children and their grandchildren, and they were taking the place over, moving chairs, pushing tables together. You probably know the type. After they had their meal set on the table in front of them and everybody settled, the grandfather looked down the table right there in Subway, and he said this to his family, let's pray. And he prayed. And he prayed loud enough for his grandchildren seated at the end of the table, that long string of tables, to hear. And as he prayed, I looked around the subway. And people were watching. Their actions, although not directed toward the world, reminded the world that there is something bigger. They were salt. Praying to impress people is wrong. But giving thanks to God, recognizing where your meal comes from, and teaching your children and your grandchildren to do the same, that's biblical. The world has told us that faith is private. Keep it between you and God. The world has lied. Faith, although personal, was never meant to be private. If so, you were never meant to be salt. And Jesus said, you are salt. Giving thanks to God, praying with your family is a small thing, but small things that point others to Jesus Christ change the world. Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Inviting a neighbor to church, it's a small thing. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Calling your son or daughter, your brother or sister, your friend from college that has walked away from the Christian faith and encouraging them to return. It's a small thing. 
but small things that point to Jesus change the world. I can tell you, if you're going to live as salt in this world, you're going to feel the wrath of the world. You're going to hear the world cry out, hypocrite, and you'll be guilty. Every stone in the box would be black. Because following Christ, living for Jesus is hard. It's not easy. We, we can't live like Jesus. He was perfect. We're sinners. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why those who don't know Jesus need to hear about him. You will hear the world accuse you of being intolerant. And you'll be guilty. Because when you see people living in sin, you know the importance of pointing them towards repentance and salvation. Because you know that when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, there will be no compromise, no negotiation, no middle ground. Our text tells us that Jesus is the one with the sword. He's the one who will judge. The world might cry out guilty, but Jesus is the judge. And he tells us, those who repent, those who turn from the world, those who turn from their sin and call on his name, they'll be given a white stone with a new name written on it. And with that white stone, the kingdom of God. Scholars debate the exact meaning of the white stone mentioned in our text, but, but all agree that white stands for holy, pure, and innocent. And those are exactly the words you will hear when Jesus calls you home or returns in glory. Until then, hear this. You are the salt of the earth. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've left us here not to be of the world, but we remain in the world, Lord, to point others to you. We have purpose. What, what a calling to be your people, Lord, to be your witnesses, to testify toward the wonderful thing you've done by taking the sins of the world to the cross. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Equip us to be light and to be salt to a world lost in darkness. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.